We know that Jesus beats death. And when you keep the end of the story in mind, that helps remind us we don't have to live out the rest of our days in this place. It doesn't mean you're ever going to find yourself in the darkness, but there is hope. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear because he's given us hope. He's given us a way to overcome the fear, not by our own strength, not by us just magically stopping it, but because Jesus wins. And that knowledge, that hope can draw us out of fear as we're sanctified, Mm -hmm. as we grow in our knowledge of who God is and who we are in him. Welcome to the Really Real Podcast, where we really discuss real issues in a really uh, real manner. Sorry, I charge them for every time I mention the word real, and I'm trying to get a PS5, so really real, really McReal FM. Here's Anson, Kara, and Isaac. Hello, welcome to episode 67 of the Really Real Podcast, a show where three friends sit down for a drink and some refreshingly honest conversation about real life. Here's what we've got today on the show. First up is quote of the week, and I am sharing a quote from the book Compassion and Conviction, the and campaign's guide to faithful civic engagement. So Mm. we're not going to be talking about politics exactly. We're going to be talking about talking about politics. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) If that makes sense. Good. Then we've got, is it just me with Kara? And she's going to be asking the question, is it just me or do you find it hard to be happy for other people's success panel of experts is on the way and it's probably best just to keep that one a secret until we get there (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but i have it this week that's what you can tell you that's right isaac is going to be leading us in our panel of experts discussion so you know you're gonna want to stick around for that Mm -hmm. and then our word of the week for this week is fear that's a good one (laughs) children (laughs) yay That's exactly what I want to talk about, right? Yes. All the things that we're afraid of. Speaking of, what's something that you're afraid of? This could be something that is like, (laughs) you know, actually like a deep, dark, like, oh, yes, that's one of my greatest fears in life. Or just, you know, like a silly phobia, (sighs) whichever way you want to take it. What's something you're afraid of? (laughs) Twofold here. Spiders and disappointing people. Ah. (laughs) Especially when you disappoint spiders (laughs) or or a spider just dropping from the ceiling going, we've been very disappointed. (laughs) Okay. I didn't know you were afraid of spiders. Hate them. Hate them so much. Noted. Not a fan. Do you feel as a guy, a cultural obligation to pretend like (laughs) you're not when one shows up in your home? Bree knows what she married. (laughs) I'm pretty confident. Confident in the things that I should be afraid of that I'm not. But like yeah. if a spider rolls through, I'm like, no, we Done. just got to cut the loss and burn the house down. <laughs> gotcha. Sorry. Okay. Well, I don't like spiders either. My thought was kind of going the direction you were going, Isaac. Disappointing people or people being mad at me in general. Yeah. Like really bad conflict or rift in relationship makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. Let's see. I am scared of dogs. <laughs> oh. Really? Which is kind of weird because I own one. I didn't know that. I actually used to be terrified of dogs. It's gotten much better over time. Really? But like a wow. big dog. I had an experience as a kid. There's a story where I ended up getting bit by a dog. And ever since then, I was always like eh, around strange yeah. dogs that I don't know. No so like strange dog, the larger it gets, the scarier it gets. Childhood memories. You have a bad experience. <laughs> yeah, and that colors that'll do it. Things for a while. So large yeah. dog owners, as the dog is like telling you in its own language that it's about to kill you. Right. They're always like, oh. She's so fine. And you're like, I don't yeah, believe. She doesn't seem happy to see me. Yeah. It might be a running thing, too. You run by some house and here comes the dog screaming at you from yeah. the front yes. yard. And you're like, is it going to lick me or bite my leg off? Yeah, sure. I'm that not sure. Thing. Anyway, random thing that Anson's kind of <laughs> afraid of. So 
Let's move on to what everyone is drinking today. I have got my Limoncello LaCroix. Yes. And you, yes, have been following the LaCroix saga (laughs) with me over the course of the podcast. And I have mostly converted. (laughs) This is my gateway LaCroix, though. I really like this flavor. I'm not fully versed in all of the like seasonal Uh changes of the LaCroix flavors yet because I'm still kind of new to this. So I don't know which ones are spring and summer but it seems like they rotate them oh. seasonally it feels like aldi where i think you and i get our Lacroix from is mostly like on a seasonal rotation okay. and they've yeah. had oh. limoncello there for a while yeah now. limoncello seems to be like a spring what's so in right now thing yeah. yeah so i'm like loading up on it now mm-hmm. so that when it goes away later i'll have a bunch of extra it's a very very good flavor it i will taste say it tastes like drinking cake yes <laughs> which is yes incredible yeah so. you would not think that that's something people would want but yeah it's, it it's very delicious. good yeah. that is the one that i drink as well and that's the one that converted mm-hmm. me to it's good stuff. I love LaCroix. this so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Congratulations, Isaac. Isaac. You win. I'm drinking an AeroPress latte, homemade. I love my little AeroPress, you guys. It just yeah. makes such smooth coffee. And then I have a little milk frother that we got for our wedding a couple years ago. And so I love making little homemade lattes. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yummy. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with liquid IV. No, no. Oh, but boy. it sounds like something you would it be does. drinking. Yeah. So here's the deal about liquid IV. Tell us. <laughs> On their website, they have like a diagram of science and oh cells and stuff. My. Wow. It is science. Basically like a Gatorade power that's not a Gatorade power. It's oh. something that you put it in your water and it's a hydration multiplier. It makes wow. your water more hydrating. More <laughs> it's watery. Like, it's, it's steroids for your water. Nice. And and so it's like say, a mixed packet thing. Yeah, it's a little mixed packet okay. thing. I've been dosing my water with it for like weeks now. And it's what does it taste awesome. like? I like the watermelon flavor. Okay, so ah. they're different flavors. Yeah. Like I'll be drinking water all day, but because of that, I think my body gets used to that. Oh. And if I go a stretch where I just forget to drink water it's just headache instantly yes and when i drink one of these suckers i just feel the headache go away almost wow so does it taste a lot like gatorade then no it's less punchy and less like sugary than gatorade in fact it doesn't have a sugary taste at all which Uh, i really like okay some of the like water flavoring stuff I don't <laughs> like it because they just taste like sugar. Yeah. It, it's more of the essence a la LaCroix. It's more of a watermelon. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of that okay. vibe. Yeah. Like I, mix I really, in LaCroix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah. I really like it, though. With science. With <laughs> si- like that's, yeah, I'm not going to do a small commercial for him, though. But I, I've been riding my bike a lot lately, and it's just nice to have okay. that little extra. Oh, that's right. cool. Yeah. That's All cool. right. Let's talk about what's on repeat this week. For me, it is the new song from Torin Wells, Millionaire, or Good Like That. If I had a dollar for every time they say God wanna gonna go through, I'd be a millionaire. I love a good Torin Wells song because it just feels like every time we play a new single from Torin Wells, it's got some sort of unique spin yeah. on yes. it that just makes it sound completely different than every other song mm-hmm. that we're playing. It's a really great kind of pattern breaker. Yeah. And Millionaire definitely fits that as well. It's a very unique song. We've got Kirk Franklin on it. Old school hip hop from <laughs> the 90s. So love that. It's kind of got that Torin Wells 70s, 80s ish kind like of vibe to it. Boppy. Mm-hmm. With of. the like snapping in the background yeah, yeah it's very and groovy the, such an urge to sing it right now but yes. i'm not gonna go there like it's i've just, been saying on the air during my shows like there's not a torn well song that you can't dance to right. like, and if there is one i haven't found it yet. yeah it, it definitely has this dancey old school vibe to it it does that feels like is just torn wells's yeah. thing i am listening to enough by social club misfits and austin french i was born to walk through the fire I was made to run through these flames. 
This is actually a little bit of an older song for mm-hmm. us, but it's one that I've got in one of my playlists that I kind of go back to when I'm feeling afraid or yeah. nervous about something in life that's going on. I listen to this one a lot and it's a very like good brave anthem. The chorus is, I was born to walk over fire. I was made to run through these flames. And so it's very empowering. Yeah, (laughs) There's a line in it that says, when you're afraid is the only time that a man can be brave. Mm. I love that. And then the bridge is, I could give up, I could just hide, but you walk with me through all of my fires. So it's just a good, I can do this. I can be an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I can do hard things yeah. kind of song. Have you listened to the mood remix? Are you listening to the original one or one no. of the remixes? I think this is the original. Okay. Oh. There's two remixes for the song too. There's oh. one that's called the mood remix and one that's called the doom remix. Oh, And the doom one is a little more like minor key aggressive yeah. sounding. The mood one is a little more like poppy fun. And Ooh. the mood remix is actually the one that we're playing on real FM right now. So oh, if you okay. hear the song on real FM, yeah you'll hear the mood remix one and I love it. I think it's even better than the original. So I think the original is what I have. So now I have to go back and listen to the other one. Go check it out. It's good. I've been listening to I Y K Y K or (laughs) (laughs) yuck by elevation rhythm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is if you know, you know, I told Kara, I think originally, that if you phonetically say mm-hmm. the title, <laughs> yeah. it makes me think of an Ewok from Star Wars. Yuck, yuck. Like that's yeah. what, yeah, like, yeah. Yuck, yuck. That's, that's exactly man, what it sounds like. To have Wicket perform this entire song, uh, that would be incredible. Yes. But yeah. It's transitioning into warmer weather. We're coming out of this permafrost season that we just <laughs> yeah. went through. Yes. I just need some good pop music. And this has my kryptonite in it. If a pop track starts with a clap kind of effect mm. or anything uh, like that, yes. dude, that is like my, I hear that. I'm like, oh, what? Oh. <laughs> Ears perk up a little bit. But also the lyrical content of it's super good. One of the verses doesn't matter where I end up as long as I'm still with you in every situation. God, you always see me through. This is kind of a good tie into our fear discussion today because I have a lot of times in my life where the lack of control being made more apparent Mm. uh, is something that can throw me completely off. And this is one of those songs that's kind of one of those surrender it. God's in control. Mm -hmm. If you know that, it's good. This episode of the Really Real Podcast is brought to you by Infinite Possibilities Tupperware. Everyone knows that Tupperware is the ultimate solution for keeping something from going bad. The thing is, any old Tupperware can keep your leftover pizza safe. But Infinite Possibilities Tupperware comes in all shapes and sizes, big and small, so you can keep more things from going bad than ever before. Want to keep a single kernel of corn from going bad? Easy. Just use a pair of tweezers to put on the seal-tight lid. Need to store a 32-pound butterball turkey? No problem. Just make sure to ask a friend to help you move it. Infinite Possibilities Tupperware. When you keep things from going bad, that's good. Words are in my not-so-humble opinion. Our most inexhaustible source of magic. The quote of the week. Yes, the quote of the week is where we serve up a nugget of wisdom to snack on. Maybe a few French fries as well. Today's quote comes from a book that I have been reading over the last few days. Just recently started it, so I'm still in the middle of it. Mm. But based on what I've read so far would recommend. It's called Compassion and Conviction, The mm. And Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement by Justin Gibney, Michael Ware, and Chris Butler. I don't know if you guys have heard of the And Campaign, but you mm. may have seen them pop up on Twitter or on social media some during the 2020 election. They're a ministry that is focused on 
encouraging proper civic engagement mm. and encouraging people to not sell out to partisanship, uh, Christians yeah. in particular, that we can hold the values of compassion and mm. conviction. Mm -hmm. Both of these things matter. And we shouldn't forsake one in favor of the other. Sure. So if you're interested in something like that, I would highly recommend this book. But early on in the book, they first just start by talking about civic engagement in general. Mm -hmm. Is it something we should be doing at all? And mm -hmm. that's where my quote of the week comes from this week. And it's actually kind of a two part quote, but I wanted to share both of them because I think both sides of this matter. Yeah. So the first part of the quote is this to avoid or dismiss political engagement is to forego an important opportunity to help our neighbors and to promote righteousness and justice that are the foundation of God's throne. Mm. And okay. so if you're on that side of the camp, I would just rather not when it comes to politics. He's talking about me. <laughs> Kara? <Yes. no. laughs> yeah. Feeling called out right now? No, not my intention to call no, you out. Know, but but yeah, you do represent this view as yes. we've discussed in the past. Yeah, this makes me nervous. It yeah. starts to make me sweat. I'd kind of rather just stay out of it. Yeah. Yeah. They point out that no, civic engagement is something that we have a responsibility as Christians to engage in at some level, right. mm -hmm. not because politics is so important, but because we are able to promote righteousness and justice, the foundations mm -hmm. of God's kingdom sure. through mm -hmm. our civic engagement. And then the second part of the quote kind of follows up with a, but <laughs> our civic participation will not glorify God. If it's placed above worship, evangelism, or Christian fellowship. Yeah. Mm. I see this a lot with a lot of my Christian friends as well, who are very engaged civically, which mm. is a good thing. But when we start mm. to place our political alignments or our political engagement above yeah. those things, that's when we get into trouble. And I see a lot of that. And it's not confined to like one side of the aisle or the other. Right. Yeah. Both yeah. Christians on both sides of the aisle, I think, have, have been guilty of this. So yeah. finding this middle ground between yeah. these two extremes mm -hmm. is a lot easier said than done. Yeah. It only makes sense that we've devolved into teams at this point because that's mm -hmm. what sells. Taking a slower approach and just recognizing your neighbors across the aisle that are different from you politically... That's so crucial to having interactions with people that can lead to a meaningful discussion on Jesus. And we're kidding ourselves if we can think that we can just shut off half of the country because they don't believe like we do. Mm. And then also minister to them. Like how, <laughs> You can't do that. You have to pick one or the other. It feels right. like, you know, this is a hard one for me, but this is convicting. It's a good point. There's an opportunity here to love people which is kind of the point. <laughs> it's a struggle for me. It's scary because sometimes loving people is uncomfortable. I think the thing that stands out to me in these quotes is some of these words that are used at the end of each of these quotes. To avoid or dismiss political engagement is to miss out on, mm. and this is the important part, promoting righteousness and justice. Yeah. And then the same thing for the second part of that. If our civic participation exceeds, and then here's the important stuff, worship, evangelism, Christian yeah. fellowship. I mean, it's undeniable that partisanship and our political leanings, even if you're not actively like warring with someone from the other side of the aisle, yeah. even if you're just commiserating with someone who believes what you do, right. yeah. it's easy to start placing that political identity as more important than yeah. our identity in Christ, right. our identity in worshiping Jesus. Christian yeah. fellowship has been clearly mm -hmm. damaged and broken yeah. by politics in our right. country. Hugely. And so that's kind of where my eyes go on these quotes are these values that we have replaced. That's in that first point. half of the quote, when you dismiss political engagement kind of from the angle of, well, I just don't want to mess with it. I think that 
whether we realize it or not, you're just tacitly supporting the loudest voice in the room. You're just kind of willing to say like, okay, I'll just kind of like go with whatever's happening. And then like generally that means the loudest people get to dictate the pace of things. You're dead on with like our ministry and our witness has been damaged by letting politics take over the primary focus Mm -hmm. because once you dismiss and write off a huge section of the country, they're not going to be receptive to you anymore. We've got to carve out inroads to sort of bring that back because I think that we've clearly made an idol of politics hmm. from both ends. All it takes is like a scroll through my newsfeed to see like, okay, what is actually important to people? Mm-hmm. What are they spending most of their time thinking about? And yeah. when we elevate it above the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. yeah. clearly our priorities are out of order. No wonder we now have all these problems where we've mixed the church and politics. Of course, yeah. You're going to be imbalanced. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Is it just me or it's probably just a case of the Mondays? Am I right? Okay, it's my turn to talk about that thing that hopefully I'm not a total weirdo alien for doing. This one is kind of a hard confession for me, you guys, because it feels very petty. Is it just me or do you sometimes find it hard to be happy for others? success Mm -hmm. (laughs) hopefully it's no (laughs) oh man (laughs) i do this perfectly it's funny it feels like such a junior high thing to me Mm. but i do struggle with it and it doesn't matter if it's about a relationship or about my professional life it does seem to happen a lot with people who are in similar stages of life or a similar career maybe Mm -hmm. what happens is basically i look at them and i decide they are happier or more successful than I am. Mm. And somehow, instead of being excited for them about their success, it turns into this weird commentary on me and my failing. Like it somehow turns into a, I am not enough because I'm not doing what they're doing or I'm not doing it as well as they are. Yeah. Or I just feel sad because look, they're better at that thing than I am. Mm -hmm. And I hate that (laughs) because it steals so much joy. I think comparison is the thief of joy. It steals joy both from me and the work that I'm doing and the growth that I'm having, but Mm. also it steals the joy of being able to celebrate with someone else. Yeah. I just feel like it's so dumb, but like it is a thing inside of me that I notice happening. Yeah, I fully, (laughs) fully am there with you. I've got a buddy who it seems like everything he does, it just automatically is great and awesome. And like he started a project restoring his truck. And then that turned into a YouTube channel that now has a million subscribers. Oh, my like, goodness. And I'm not like I, I, I've i known this guy for a while. And it's been like a joke in our circle of friends like, oh, yep, he's going to go do that and then yes. be a professional at it. Right. It took me sort of realizing like not everyone has the same tools in their tool belt mm. and not everyone has the same priorities. And mm, I need to true. be willing to let this dude shine and be cool with that. Yeah, of course, I don't have a truck restoring channel. Like, right. why am I what? upset that I don't? Like, I don't <laughs> I want know. that. Like, That's what gets I? me. But that little stint of green envy in me does yeah. come up. And I just have to, like, confront it and say, no, we're happy for Grant. That's I fine. Know. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I know exactly what you mean, because I've said that to myself. I've stopped and realized, like, wait, do you actually want what they have? Yeah. Like, do you want that? And I was like... Well, no, but I still feel <laughs> insecure. It still seems cool. It's it's cool. cool. If I had it. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And somehow it still makes me insecure. Even yeah. though it's like, I don't actually want that. I think you're right, Kara. I think so often it's people that are like in our similar life stage, yeah. but maybe we perceive it just being ever so slightly ahead of us. Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of a line from like the super popular driver's license song. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard that. From <laughs> Rodrigo. There's a line in that song where she talks about this other girl that represents everything she's insecure about. Yeah. And that's what it makes me think of is that uh, word insecurity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it's not even really about 
that other person. No. I don't think it's a reflection of our own insecurity. Yes, yes. Right? absolutely. Do I really belong in the job that I'm in or in the hobbies that I have yeah. or in the things that I enjoy? And when those feelings of insecurity are bubbling beneath the surface, yep. then when we see someone else who seems to be doing similar things to us successfully, all that insecurity just comes like pouring out of us. And we're yeah. like, suspicions confirmed. <laughs> yeah. I'm not as good at doing this thing. When our own insecurities are kind of stealing our mm. ability to be joyful or celebrate on behalf of another person, not yeah. only then... Does it make our insecurity worse internally, mm -hmm. but it hurts our external relationships yes. potentially as well. It does. So yeah. it, it leaves that kind of internal state and becomes an external yeah. thing and yeah. starts to also affect the people around us. And I don't know if you share this, but I feel this the most with people that I mostly interact with on a social media level. Yes. Like the deeper I have a friendship with someone, yes. the less I feel that. Because Absolutely. I think I'm more in tune with their success in contrast with what they've overcome to get there. Right. Because well, you just have yeah. a more realistic perspective right. exactly. of yeah. who that person is and what they're them doing. Based yeah. only off of their like wins, yep. of right. course you're yep. going to feel vastly inadequate yep. because I have been there through all of the struggles of that exactly right. and when you compare that to yourself you have way more insight into your own struggles than any other person's oh. on the planet right? yeah. because yes. you're yeah. constantly thinking about them and living them yes. in your own head yes. you can't do that with other people so mm. even when you do know someone else really well you're never going mm. to be as in tune with the struggles that that person has as you are with your own. Yeah. Yeah. And so the comparison is fundamentally flawed. It makes me think of this line from Beautiful Eulogy from their song Messiah. My envy is a reflex of my ignorance because I don't know the details of their daily existence. Mm -hmm. I just assume. Yeah. And like that is the key right there. I'm like, that's what we're all doing. We're all seeing these people that we don't know very well. That's usually who it happens with on social media. My envy is a reflex of my ignorance. I don't know the details of their struggles, their yeah. victories, all of those things. And you're right. I have to keep that in mind and, and in perspective. Panel of experts. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Now it is time for a panel of experts. <laughs> for a long time, we've been told that we could be anything we wanted to be. It's true. We decided we'd be everything. <laughs> And this week, it's my turn to choose our topic. All right, guys. I'm so scared. I know. Same. Let's jump into this. I've been waiting for Isaac to leave this. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's going to be glorious. America woke up earlier this week to a bizarre gift from North Korea. U.S. Customs are now holding a 400-foot statue of Tom Hanks <laughs> at a harbor in California. Of course. Unsure of what to do with the obscenely large gift. On one side of the discussion is Trojan historian Nathaniel Morris <clears throat> offering yes. strong opinions on what's to be done with the statue. To his opposite, we're joined by Ruby Hart, chairperson of the International Why Can't We Be Friends Commission. Hello. <laughs> Two conflicting ideas. Chairperson Hart, you're on record being relatively excited about this grand, unexpected gesture from our friends in North Korea. Can you elaborate? It shows we've come such a long way, right? We talk a lot about how we need to sit down. We need to talk to each other. We need to overcome our differences. And I think it's just such a warm gesture from the North Koreans. We need to be open to having a discussion about it and exploring it and not be immediately suspicious. Mm. And Mr. Morris, you immediately raised alarms and concerns over the nature of the gift. Why are you worried where someone would say, hey, what could possibly be wrong with a big statue of Tom Hanks? Questions. My mind is filled with questions. What is in Tom Hanks's head? What's in his body? <laughs> 
what's in his legs. What could be lurking inside of Tom Hanks? Everything that we hold dear could be torn down by a giant statue of Tom Hanks from North Korea. Nobody is paying attention to this. <laughs> Related to Mr. Morris's concerns, Mrs. Hart, there have been noise complaints at the harbor. For the sake of argument, let's assume that Tom Hanks is actually hollow. Chairperson. <laughs> Is it correct to assume that Tom Hanks contains something necessarily bad for North Korea? I don't think we can just definitely assume that. I mean, it's possible that Tom Hanks is full of love as the normal Tom Hanks is. And maybe there are gifts of love inside. It's quite possible. Right. Yeah. A North Korean dictator (laughs) just sent over a giant statue of Tom Hanks filled with love. Is it filled with candy bars? Is it filled with? It could be. I don't know. Boxes of puppies. You just never know. It is possible that the statue is filled with teddy bears, but the teddy bears then are filled with something nefarious. If there is something cute or adorable, we open the statue up and there's just legions of puppies that come pouring out. You know (laughs) that these puppies are genetically modified. That They're going to transform into bears or uh, grow giant teeth and start ripping people's (laughs) legs off all across the country. I have no doubt that whatever the statue is filled with, even if on first glance it appears to be a kind gesture, it is nefarious. Undoubtedly. Interesting. Mr. Morris, you're absolutely convinced that history will repeat itself as it did in the Trojan days. This can't be anything other than a classic trope of a hollow gift from our enemies. I'd like to point out that this is, in fact, a statue of Tom Hanks and not a horse. So it's a certain qualification there. Tom Hanks is kind of a sketchy character himself, is he not? I mean, (laughs) could this be a long long con from Tom Hanks? Are you implying, Where he has worked his way into the hearts and minds of your average American with his kitschy portrayals of... Forrest Gump and other lovable characters over the years, when in fact, (laughs) this has been a plot from the very beginning from the North Korean government to allow us to grow in our trust of this man before crushing us with the ultimate betrayal. You're saying that Tom Hanks this whole time himself, the person, not the statue, has been a North Korean agent. I'm saying it's possible, Isaac. (laughs) Is that possible? Absolutely. Now, is it possible that Tom Hanks is an unwitting participant in North Korea's schemes? Possible as well. Either way, the sheer size of this statue and the questionable nature of the timing of this gift definitely makes me think something is afoot. All right. In closing, Mrs. Hart, do you think that it's only right that America reciprocates and send them some sort of gift in return? Mm. And if so, do you think that we have anything we can send them that is significant to our Mm. culture? Yes, I think that would be a very nice gesture. I think we should send something that is meaningful to them and and their culture, perhaps. Let's reflect something of the generosity of the American people and send back something that will go a long way in creating this mutual friendship that we would like to develop with the North Koreans. You you know, I actually agree with Ruby here that we should send a gift in return. Uh And in fact, I've been working on a plan for this. Yes. A giant statue of Dennis Rodman. Okay. (laughs) And it's filled with, well, we won't discuss that part, but Uh, a giant statue of Dennis Rodman, about the same size as Tom Hanks. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we can send that right over and hopefully they'll 
plant that Dennis Rodman statue right in the middle of their capital, Pyongyang, <laughs> and oh, they'll dear. just be overjoyed with the results of doing so. Quick aside here, Mr. Morris. Mm-hmm. Do you believe every sculpture to be hollow and contain something, in fact? You can't rule this out, Isaac. <laughs> I mean, uh. you look at the statue of David, you look at other famous statues around the world. Do we really know what's inside <laughs> of the Statue of Liberty? We think that this is a representation from the French of freedom, but a lot of these famous landmarks no longer allow visitors. Why is that? Is there something to hide inside mm. of all of the statues of the world? I think it's possible. Mr. Morris, are you implying that there have been French troops since 1885 inside the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> There could be. You can't rule it out. There could be French troops inside, but it could be something like poison gas. It could be some sort of genetically modified animal, as I discussed earlier. That's not at all something that I would consider putting inside of Dennis Rodman. We'll go to the source himself. Tom Hanks was reached out for a quote on this. He said upon gazing on the 400 foot structure of himself. Wow, it's very big. (laughs) We'll be opening it this weekend. Hopefully it contains teddy bears. Without much further ado, I give you the word of the week. Now it is time for our word of the week. The word of the week for this week is fear. And our word of the week is like a perspective potluck with words and ideas instead of tortilla pinwheels. Oh, (laughs) do you recall tortilla pinwheels? You know what these are? No, it's like the little tortilla wrap roll ups with like the lunch meat inside. Usually like roast beef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those things are so good. Those are pretty good. I could eat a million of those. I I would agree. Anything that is made bite size Uh is just super dangerous because you just keep yeah. Biting. Yeah. They don't count, right? <laughs> no, no, they're absolutely. Biting. Yeah. <laughs> Never stop biting the bite sized tortilla pinwheels. I've actually been looking forward to this discussion because okay. I know that talking about a word that has the negative connotations that fear has can be a difficult discussion potentially. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I think, very much an appropriate discussion because it lives up to our name, mm. the Really Real Podcast. Yeah. We're going to get really real in yeah. this episode and talk about something that we all really deal with. I mean, this mm-hmm. is yeah. a universal emotion. Fear is something that is an undercurrent in all of yeah. our lives yes. and probably has more far reaching effects on our behavior and our thoughts and our minds than we may realize uh, at times. Well, I want to go back and revisit the question that I asked at the beginning of the show, which is what are some things that you feel like cause fear in your life? And obviously we, you know, discuss things like spiders or dogs, or some people are afraid of heights. My wife is kind of claustrophobic. We have these phobias, but if we move past the phobias and into what causes more like deep rooted fears in our lives. Mm. What would you identify in your own life as causes of fear? I just want to preface this by saying this actually, I feel like is a little bit of a difficult question to answer potentially for some people, because we may know that we feel fear. Sometimes identifying the source of that fear is actually pretty difficult, is it not? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's only through really close examination of myself and just through consumption of some really cool art and media that I've been able to kind of address fear. One of my Favorite band's Gaffer Project released an EP talking about fear. It's a very like heady kind of thing, but Mm -hmm. they addressed fear as a concept. And each of the songs on the album was addressing like different phobias and fears that he had from Mm -hmm. a cool perspective. I think that mine is either being disappointed or disappointing others in my life. I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that probably more closely guides my motivations daily and kind of has that, like you're saying, undercurrent's a great word for that is 
I am just horrified of that. Like that is my mm. worst fear of either being let down or letting someone down. I think that's mm. something I struggle with daily. For me, embarrassment is a word that comes up. I do not like being embarrassed or humiliated or yeah. even perceiving that I have been humiliated or embarrassed because I feel like fear has a way of distorting reality yes, at times. It does. And so sometimes when we're afraid of something, we mm. start to become suspicious of things that we might not otherwise be suspicious of. And so it's easy for me to perceive that yeah. I have been embarrassed or humiliated when other people aren't actually thinking that. Right. But because I'm so afraid of it, I'm on the lookout for it. Oh, right. Like yeah. any little hint of this may have reflected poorly on me. Yeah. Now all of a sudden goes from, oh, someone laughed at me in passing and is going to forget it in the next 10 seconds. Yeah. to this person thinks I'm a joke. You'll my find what you're looking plummets for. Plummets through the floor. And yeah, yeah. I've picked that out now yeah. and I'm going to fixate on it. I, I guess for me, it is hard to put words to now that you say that. I'm having yeah. a hard time like <laughs> narrowing it down. But I think it comes back to this fear of being rejected, mm. of being seen as I am and not accepted for that. Yeah. And so sometimes that comes out as like a fear of failure. It leads to a lot of people pleasing and avoidance of failure because yeah. in my head, if I'm failing, then someone's not going to accept me. Right. There, yeah. There's a risk that someone might reject me if I fail or don't live up to the expectation or whatever. And then yeah. for me, there's disconnection there. And the disconnection is is a big fear of mm. mine in, yeah. in relationships. So like rejection, disconnection, disapproval, all of those are just gut level. Yeah. I do not like this right. kind of fear. So how do these fears that we feel, and I'm sure there's more of them than just the mm -hmm. couple that we've outlined so yeah. far, mm -hmm. but how do these fears that you struggle with manifest themselves in your life? What are mm -hmm. the results of these fears in terms of how these fears influence the way you relate to others, mm -hmm. the way you behave? How do you find that these most influence your behavior or your interactions with yeah. other people? You talked about your fear of being embarrassed kind of being a fixation and i think that that's a great term for that because mm -hmm. i'm fixated on having my expectations met or meeting the expectation of others to the point where i'm constantly feeling like i am underperforming in everything i should be doing and that when i have something to expect from others i naturally just set the bar extremely low to the point where that colors my perceptions of other people because I'm thinking like, well, no one really ever follows through on what they're saying is going to happen. So why should I expect this to be different? Mm -hmm. And I think that can actually lead to a lot of self-sabotage. Because I think that if I have that expectation from others, and if I have such a fear of disappointment, sometimes that can lead to inaction. There's so often where I want to try to tackle something, but I'm so afraid of it not meeting yeah. a yes. standard or an expectation that I have that's unrealistic to begin with. Yeah. It locks me in this inaction. And I've actually talked about that with some other creative people. We constantly arrive at, we owe it to ourselves to at least fail giving our 100%. Just mm -hmm. to know where we stand, if anything. Because if we're locked in inactivity, you'll never know if you're able to actually meet your potential. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Isaac. I think fear can lead me in one of two directions. One, it can lead me towards a fixation on a given thing or an obsession with a certain thing. Mm -hmm. Or the other side of that coin is it can lead me away from it and it can lead to avoidance. avoidance. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so with certain things in my life, like the embarrassment one, to use that as an example, maybe it would lead me to certain things where I do feel confident in my abilities in a certain area. Mm -hmm. And so like, all right, I need to stay in my lane. I need mm. to do this thing because I have developed confidence that yeah. I am 
qualified or I am worthy of being in this position or doing this thing. And so Mm -hmm. I can live right here, but I need to avoid all of these things out here that I don't have that confidence in lest Mm -hmm. someone catch me in my lack of expertise in these areas. Or another fear that I've talked about on the show before is I honestly kind of struggle with a fear of death. I struggle with a fear of how short life is. And Mm. every once in a while, I have these existential panic moments where I'm like, Mm. oh my gosh, the clock is ticking. Like I'm in my mid thirties. I look at my parents and my grandparents and where they are in their stages of life. And and like, I'm not that far away from that. My way of dealing with that fear is going... And sticking my fingers in my ears and trying not to think about it. Mm Sure. Which I think makes those moments of existential panic that much worse. I'm not the type of person that has really struggled with panic attacks or things like that. But that is probably about as close as I get to it. Where I have these like moments where I start thinking about that and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I can't think about that. Yeah. And so I stuff that back where it came from until the (laughs) next time that I have a little panic moment about it. That very much is an avoidance kind of thing like you're talking about, Isaac, of like, I can't fix this, so Mm -hmm. I have to stay as far away from it as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very insightful. There's those two responses and probably most of us employ both of them in some Mm. way or another when we're dealing with our fear. Definitely avoidance is my first line of defense Mm -hmm. always. Like I could safely say I spend most of my time trying to avoid (laughs) any sort of conflict. And so yeah. I'm trying to anticipate everyone's needs. How can I, <laughs> this sounds so horrible. How can I do what mm. people want me to do? So I don't have to even deal with that. Yeah. I just, I want to anticipate all the things and keep a peaceful environment around me as much as possible. Yeah. So that's one way of avoiding it, which is also a fixation if you really think about it, sure. because you're always fixating on like, what's the next need? What do I need to do to make this yeah. environment peaceful? Yeah. And then sometimes I fixate on finding the right answer in like a book or something like I, I look for the right book to tell me how to do this. But I like keep looking for more information instead yeah. of actually dealing with the problem. I just fixate on gathering yeah. more and more information, but never actually take action because I'm still in the avoidance stage. What you're talking about, the scenarios that you're charting out in your head. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes is a quote from Seneca. We suffer more often in imagination than in reality. And I think that mm-hmm. that's so true. We get so in our own heads about yes. potential pitfalls. A lot of times our worst fear could actually lead to a deeper relationship with someone (laughs) because the people that I've forgiven and the people that I've forgiven me after a major disappointment, Mm -hmm. that bond is so much better after that. The disappointment, you could make the argument led to a deeper relationship because then you have that vulnerability there. Mm -hmm. My initial instinct of fear to avoid that only (laughs) is more of a problem. Yes, it does because it creates more fear because there's less closeness. Yeah. So then there's less trust. It's a cycle. It is. I want to introduce another layer I think that could contribute to our struggle with fear. (laughs) I'll introduce it with this platitude that often gets thrown about in Christian subculture, which is the Bible says 365 times (laughs) do not fear. One for every Every day of the year, which means that we should never be afraid. Now, a couple of notes on that. Number one, it's actually not true. The Bible does not say do not fear 365 times. Exactly. So it's like the Bronze Age calendars. Did they work that way? Not actually. (laughs) Pretty sure it's around farming. (laughs) That said, scripture does use the phrase do not fear or do not be afraid Uh a lot and repeatedly. So the underlying point of scripture says this a lot is true. Okay. So how does that knowledge influence the way that you have viewed Mm -hmm. fear 
and your response to it in your own life? Is this something that you mm. were or are aware of? Yeah. Is it something that affects you in some way? How does what scripture has to say about being afraid yeah. influence the way that you interact with the idea of fear? Second Timothy one seven. Mm-hmm. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but love, power, sound mind. That was <laughs> drilled into my noggin. First verse, I think I memorized actually oh, wow. as a kid. Wow. There's some layers to that. I think that my mom wanted me to know that. I think that my mom deals with some anxiety. That is a verse that she leans on heavily. In turn, you want to pass on the tools that you feel are special and important to your kids. I think that was passed on to me. Rightfully so. But I also think that if you take that verse in, but you're also still dealing with a high level of fear and anxiety at the same time, and you're like, well, if God didn't give me this, Mm. why am I experiencing this? And is it a problem in me that as a believer, I'm dealing with fear? Shouldn't I, in theory, not have to deal with this? Am I really a believer if I have fear? These are things that I've wrestled with. Ironically enough, ever since that verse was drilled into my head, my dumb, dumb brain took that in and said, you're broken (laughs) because you have fear. Right. (laughs) So yeah, it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. So messed up. Yeah. I think it can create a culture of shame if you don't understand. And let's be honest, as kids, most of us don't understand Mm -hmm. what that means. Even as adults, I was in a church once where there was a discussion happening in a small group about anxiety medicine and depression medicine. And we won't get into all of that, but let's just say like, it was fairly obvious that if I'm feeling fear, this is a shameful thing. Mm. Like I need to not do that. I'm failing spiritually somehow. It makes me think of an old comedy sketch from Bob Newhart. And I don't know if you guys have seen this sketch or you know what I'm talking about, but he is playing a therapist and this woman comes into the office telling him about how she has this fear of being locked inside of a small box, I think, or buried alive, I think is maybe what it is. Yeah. Then Bob Newhart's character is like, all right, well, I'm going to give you two words that'll be a great tool to kind of help you solve this problem in your life. And she's like, <laughs> and I, he's like, I want you to take these words out of this room with you and into your life to, to kind of solve this yeah. fear of yours. And she's like, okay, what are they? And he's like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what? And he's like, stop it. Stop yeah. doing that. Yeah. Stop, stop yes. it. And yeah. then like the whole rest of the comedy sketch is her being like, but yeah, I- but from my childhood. And he's like, stop it. Stop. Yeah. We Stop don't, it. We don't, we don't yeah. go there. Stop it. Yeah. Like that kind of feels like maybe what we have taken yeah. from these like directives in scripture. We're mm-hmm. not to be afraid. Do not fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear mm-hmm. is we feel like, okay, scripture is just telling us to stop it, which feels is not really great counseling advice, right? If it's a sin and we're not supposed to do it, then just don't. (laughs) And we're like, okay, but how? How? Right. Right. Fear becomes framed as an experience to avoid rather than something that Mm. you have to go through that you can be equipped to deal with. Right. Mm. It's something that you somehow enter by choice in that it's an indictment against you when you're feeling fear, not here, here's some tools to deal with this. Right. And and here's the thing that I go back to. And as a parent, I feel like being a parent has helped me so much in my understanding of my relationship with my heavenly father. This is one of those instances where I have found that to be highly instructive for me. I'm going to cry. I have (laughs) uttered the words, don't be afraid or You don't have to be afraid to my kids on many occasions. We were watching a Star Wars movie a couple of weeks ago, and there's the part that's kind of scary at the end of the third prequel where Anakin is turning into Darth Vader and going to the dark side. And my daughter was pretty bothered by that. Right. And I said, don't be afraid. Remember, we already watched 
the original movies and we know how the story ends, right? We mm. know that at the end of the sixth movie, Why am I getting chills? <laughs> we know at the end of that movie that Anakin returns to the good side, right? Mm. So yeah. we know where the story ends. We're just watching the middle part now. Mm. Don't be afraid. When I say these words, don't be afraid. I'm not saying stop it. Yeah, <laughs> right. right? When helpful. she's going, oh, this is really scary, dad. I'm not going, don't be afraid, you dumb dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, it's just a movie. Stop it. Yeah. Like, that's not the energy with which I'm speaking the words. Yeah. You don't have to be afraid yeah. to her. When I'm saying you don't have to be afraid, I'm doing so with compassion. Right. Yeah. And with love and with understanding. Yeah. And when I read Jesus speaking to his disciples saying, do not be afraid. Or when angels show up and always lead with, do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. They're not saying, Hey, dum dum, stop it. Right. Yeah. They're saying, look, I get it. I'm a big, scary angel looking yeah. dude. And I just like showed up in your bedroom and you're kind of freaking <laughs> there's, out. There's way more eyes here than you're used to seeing. <laughs> exactly. on one. I'm saying, do not be afraid because I can yeah. see why you'd be afraid. Yes. But what I'm telling you is, you don't have to be. It's yeah. going to be okay. Yeah, like, and that's a very different do not be afraid than a stop it. Yeah. Do not be afraid. Does very, that make sense? Yeah. It's reassuring instead right. of scolding. Exactly. It's the difference between a comfort and a command. It's tender. Yeah. It's compassionate. It's comforting. It's reassurance. I just I think we, when we just focus on it as a command, yeah. we're missing the fact that there is compassion involved. Yeah. And in fact, that's probably the reason for the command mm -hmm. is it's coming from a place of compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important thing we could miss in this discussion. Mm -hmm. I think it actually still can be a command, but a command spoken with compassion and love mm -hmm. and care. When I mm -hmm. tell my daughter, you don't need to be afraid. I don't want her to continue on in her fear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I genuinely want her to understand and to recognize that she doesn't have to be afraid. Yeah. So there is a part where you hopefully grow to where you can leave that fear behind yeah. or mm -hmm. you can learn to be less afraid of that thing mm -hmm. because of the reassurance and compassion yeah. that mm -hmm. you've been given. There is a step that's made eventually there yeah. moving out of or away from fear, but it's not from this like heartless stop it kind right. of yeah. mentality. I've recently started reading this book called Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. And they talk about how emotions like fear are this automatic and instantaneous response that we actually experience physically in our bodies. Hmm. This is the way God designed our bodies to work, I think, to have initial reactions to scary things to yeah. protect us, like because tornadoes and lions are bad. Right. So same time as well. Yeah, especially <laughs> at the same time. time. <laughs> so we need to have fear in those instances to protect us and tell your brain, like, yeah. run away. Mm -hmm. But also, I love this insight from Amelia and Emily from this book. Emotions are tunnels. If you go all the way through them, mm -hmm. you get to the light at the end. Exhaustion happens when you get stuck in an emotion. Uh, and this is what I'm curious about. Do you think that this is where we get into trouble? And maybe this is where these scriptures kind of come into play. I don't feel like God's saying you can never be afraid or you're a bad Christian because yeah. he made us literally to do this. Right. But maybe he's saying don't get stuck there because you don't have to. Let right. me help you get unstuck. And they said in this book, sometimes we get stuck because we can't find our way through. Right. We get lost and need someone else, a loving presence to help us find our way. Mm -hmm. And to Isaac's point, this idea that we should never 
feel any fear at all doesn't mm-hmm. really jive with the fact that scripture tells us over and over again right. to not be afraid right. why right. Would we because need to- why would we need to be told not to be afraid if <laughs> yeah. life wasn't scary right exactly. so life is scary there are reasons why we get fearful mm-hmm. but i totally agree with you kara mm-hmm. i think what scripture is telling us is this is not a place where you have to live out the rest of your existence right. yes. you don't have to be consumed by your right. fear you don't have yeah. to be controlled by your fear you don't have to be overcome by your fear. Right. right? Yes. And I go back to this example of me and my daughter. This is what I'm trying to explain yeah. to her, right? Not that you made a mistake by being afraid of the scary thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's a totally understandable response. But I'm reminding you that the fear isn't forever, that the fear doesn't have to define this experience, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. again, remember the end of the story. There's a reason to have hope. And hope mm-hmm. is what overcomes fear. Mm-hmm. We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus beats death. Yeah. We know that Jesus overcomes fear. And when you keep the end of the story in mind, mm-hmm. that helps remind us we don't have to live out the rest of our days yeah. in this place. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're ever going to feel it. doesn't mean you're not going to find yourself in the darkness or in the valley, but there is hope. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear because he's Mm. given us hope. He's given us a way to overcome the fear, not by our own strength, not by us just magically stopping it, but because Jesus wins. And that knowledge, that hope can help draw us out of fear over time as we're sanctified, Mm -hmm. as we grow in our knowledge of who God is and who we are in him. And I think fear is something especially to avoid being stuck in because Mm -hmm. fear, it's cyclical. You can be afraid of the possibility of never getting (laughs) out of it. Fear is the soil for self-doubt, depression, Mm -hmm. uncertainty. If you have fear and you're stuck in that, it's the gateway for all of those other things to creep in. It's that mm. slow knife. And I think that when we dwell on the fact that we're afraid, <laughs> that's just perpetuating. Yeah, it, it becomes we, yeah. a self-perpetuating yeah. cycle. We deny that truth that we've been given. Like, yes, God hasn't given us the spirit. We're just needing to recognize the other half, love, power, sound mind. We can mm. confront this only through God, though. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about coping with yeah. fear. Okay. <laughs> if we have accepted yeah. that fear is something that we all deal with, how do we cope with fear? And I, I think there are kind of two categories here that are both important that we could talk about. One would be spiritually, mm. kind of how do we cope with fear? But also I think there are practical things that we can do to help us cope with fear as well. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. tools that we can add to our toolbox to help us kind of reground ourselves in reality when we're experiencing moments of fear. Maybe let's start with the practical stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what, what are some practical things that you've discovered in your life help you cope with fear? For me, at the top of the list is phoning or let's be real texting because I don't use the phone. A friend. <laughs> yes. Uh, texting a friend or a counselor. First line of defense for me. A lot of times my friends can help me get out of my head. They know me. We've talked enough about my fears that they're like, yep, this is a pattern. This happens mm-hmm. when you get triggered. You're going to be okay. They can pull me out of my head long enough to be like, oh, okay, I'm not going to die like, yeah, <laughs> in this right. moment. I'm scared, but there's this reassuring presence that can help me walk through the tunnel. So that's yeah. First line of defense, I would say also it sounds super cheesy, but deep breathing, guys, yeah. it's a, like physiological fact that God made us so that if we stop and slowly breathe, we can calm down the centers of our brain that are telling us run for yeah. our life. Slow, deep breathing can help. It's not the only thing 
to do. Because one time I ended up in the ER with a panic attack and the doctor was like, well, take some deep breaths. And I was like, thanks for that. I just paid a thousand dollars for you to tell me that. I want to slap that person. I know. So it's not the only thing you do, but it is a tool in your toolbox that you can pull out. And if it doesn't work, move on to the next tool. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what I hear you saying there with both of those is get your bearings. Yes. Mm -hmm. Kind of understand where Mm -hmm. you are. Get a good appraisal of Mm -hmm. your situation. And sometimes you can make some progress in that area on your own by slowing your mind down, Mm -hmm. taking some deep breaths, trying to calm yourself and kind of center yourself on what you're feeling and what the problem is. But sometimes you need some help doing that as well. Mm -hmm. And so seeking help to get that accurate appraisal of your situation, I think can be good as well, because sometimes you're a little too far gone in the Mm -hmm. fear or in the problem to be able to recognize your view of what's happening versus what is reality. And you need someone to come in and say like, you're okay. Yeah. You're safe. You're not dying. Yeah. Okay, we're going to deal with this, right? Not, like not in a dismissive way, no, but in a-, in a very like, let's tackle this kind of way. Yeah. And the first step is recognizing you may not be in as much immediate danger yes. as you feel like you're in. Right. right. Yes. And so, yeah, That's getting good. an accurate appraisal of your situation. And a part of that, I think for me would be clarifying our role mm-hmm. in whatever mm. is going on. It brings me back to the classic prayer. God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, Mm. courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I need to understand my role. Is this something that I have the power to change? If so, I want to seek the courage to make the choices or Mm -hmm. do the things that I need to do to help process this issue and walk through this thing. Mm -hmm. Or is this a situation where I cannot change this thing? And I need some serenity from some outside sources yeah. to help me process this thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I was watching a TED talk from Tim Ferriss who talked about one of his approaches to combating anxiety and fear is he physically makes a list of like, okay, mm. what am I actually worried about here? Mm. And Anton, that's kind of to your point, getting that assessment of let me take the screaming in my head and actually address it, not just kind of be subjected to it screaming. Yeah. He writes it out, then writes out, okay, well, what are some solutions? And I think Mm. that's beautiful because I am more inclined to just be the more inactive approach and Uh just like, uh well, oh, I guess we're doing the head screaming today. That's (laughs) fun. Then just kind of like do my best to cope with that. Right. And I think taking the approach of confrontation with it rather than just coping is so vital. Addressing it on paper, on paper, my phone, like I'll type out, (laughs) I'll peck out like what I'm afraid of, why I'm having this just Mm. random bout of anxiety, depression, like what's Mm -hmm. going on here and organizing my thoughts and getting that assessment like you're talking about, Anson, is so crucial. So helpful. And then Kara, like you said, taking it a step further and actually being willing to communicate that to someone. Uh, Look, if you're afraid of being a disappointment, you'll be afraid of disappointing someone for admitting that you're afraid of being a disappointment. (laughs) Like it is inside of my head. No, (laughs) But whenever I've gone to someone I know and I've trust, those moments are God speaking to me through my friends and family. That blows fear out of the water. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point. Isolation fuels fear. Mm-hmm. Community blasts it apart. Yes. Like it's, it's huge. It's such a big deal. Both getting supported by others and I think supporting others yes. too. Mm-hmm. Like I want to make this very clear before I say this. If you're in the middle of a panic attack, sure. yeah. going and serving in a soup kitchen is probably not yeah, like the first yeah. thing to go do. They like, don't you, want you there. You, exactly. <laughs> You'd be really bad at it. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, in those situations, <laughs> 
that over and over. In those situations, you have first an obligation to deal with what's happening in yourself, right? Yeah. And that's really important. Yeah. But just in more of a like larger pattern of dealing with fear in your life, yeah. getting outside of your own head mm-hmm. is really important because I build up these mental strongholds in my mind yeah. of mm-hmm. fear that just become bigger and bigger the more I live in them. Yes. And so the more you can get outside of your own head, I think can be a really good thing. And two ways of doing that. One is through helping others, focusing on someone else and serving someone else, I think Mm. can help us escape those strongholds and then practicing gratitude, exercising Mm -hmm. thankfulness for things when we recognize them and doing that even when, or maybe even especially when I don't actually feel like doing it. Cause I I get, instead of saying, stop it, we could just say like, do it or start it Uh, or do this thing. Even when you don't want to do it, that's really hard. And I'm not saying like, feel something that you can't feel like because no. you can't do that. Yeah. But we can say thank you to God for things even when I don't feel like yeah. being grateful. Mm. And sometimes my actions can allow my feelings to eventually follow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just on an ongoing kind of maintenance basis, making sure that serving others and practicing gratitude are a part of oh, gratitude is huge. what we're doing, mm-hmm. I think can help us with that lessening of fear over time. Yeah. I think it was our chaplain, Justin, who said, you can't feel fear and gratitude at the same mm-hmm. time. Gratitude essentially fights against fear. It's a yeah. good weapon. We've talked about some practical ways that we can cope with fear spiritually what can we do Mm. to help equip ourselves in the fight against fear i'll lead us off here with the first one this is going to sound kind of intellectual i'm life of the mind kind of person and that's the way i talk about things we accept you here (laughs) thank you i appreciate that equip yourself with good theology Mm -hmm. and here's what i mean by that grow in your knowledge of the character of god yeah Mm -hmm. grow in your knowledge of who god is Because the more I understand him as good, all powerful and all loving, the more that grows, the more I trust him. Mm -hmm. And the more I trust him, the less I fear. Doesn't eliminate it. Doesn't mean that I don't get afraid of things. But when they come, I can return to this sure foundation of my knowledge of the character of God. And that gives me hope. If I don't have a solid foundation of the character of God, if I don't have a good understanding of him mm-hmm. as good and all powerful and all loving, I'm not going to trust him as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's going to contribute to more fear. Quick note about that, Anson. I went through a long season of my life where I struggled with what I would call spiritual anxiety. I know that's where the answer is. Yeah. But when I go there and when I go to church, I have a lot of triggers and a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Something that was really helpful for me and really accessible was to just pray short prayers mm. like lord have mercy and be pleased oh lord to deliver me oh lord make haste to help me and i just pray that over and over mm, and yeah. over reminding myself that even if i can't completely comprehend the theology or i can't even mm-hmm. go there just pray these over and over and over and it will start to remind you and get into your soul that god is on my team he's not going to let me go i can at least calm down enough to start learning about him does right. that make sense yeah it's yes. kind of like what Absolutely. we were talking about the actions leading to the yeah, feelings that, like, yeah. sometimes you need to pray the prayer you need to go to god even yeah. when you're not feeling it yeah. right that practice can end up leading our feelings in the direction yes. that they ought to yeah. go they'll catch up eventually yeah. Yeah. i am a shocker i'm a very emotional person mm-hmm. far too often my emotions will dictate my relationship with God and with others versus what I know to be true. Anson talked about living in your mind. If there's the opposite end of that, where it's just (laughs) emotional meat bag, that's me. Like (laughs) that's how I am wired fear that can weaponize that spiritually letting what I know 
dictate my actions versus what I feel in that moment. Right. That's good. Because my fight or flight kicks in. And if we're not careful, that can drive. This year particularly, mm. I want to be better about letting my intellectual side, what I know about God, letting that drive more so than what I'm feeling. Because yeah. that's fleeting. We yeah. have truth. That's <laughs> everlasting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah so our, our knowledge like of God. And then I would add to that as kind of a final thought, a knowledge of ourselves, mm. especially a knowledge of ourselves in relation to God. Yeah. Mm. Like who we are in Christ. We aren't God, but we are his. Right. Mm. We belong to him. Mm. I again, return back to this parent-child relationship. When I was afraid, as a child, what was my first instinct? What was my first response? Calling out for mom or dad. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. When something gets scary, you go, mama, dad, dad. Yeah. Right. And I see this even in my son, Axel, who can barely talk and walk. Yeah. He demonstrates this so clearly. When something happens that frightens him, all of a sudden his fear, emotional response takes over. What is his first instinct? It's to run to the nearest parent as quickly as possible. That's what I want to train my response to be yeah. when that fear kicks in, maybe even before I start thinking about it, yeah. I want my instinct to be run to Jesus, like right. yeah. run to God as fast as my little legs will carry me oh, <laughs> it's beautiful. and get that hug that I need from him. Yeah. Like I call out for my mom or dad because it's effective. Yeah. It was the most effective thing at calming yeah. my fear. Mm. There are all these like practical tips and things that are really helpful and we need to have those tools in our tool belt. But I think nothing is going to be more effective mm-hmm. than retaining that knowledge or that instinct in our head. God loves us. We are his run to him when we're experiencing fear. This episode of the really real podcast is brought to you by infinite possibilities, Tupperware. Now you can keep more things from going bad than ever before. Introducing all new sizes of infinite possibilities, Tupperware. Yes. Infinite possibilities, Tupperware can still keep your meats, vegetables, and difficult to define mystery recipes from going bad. But now infinite possibilities, Tupperware works on more than just food. Worried about your younger brother's increasingly dark TikToks? Flop them in some sibling sized Tupperware. What about your increasingly conspiracy theory obsessed uncle? We've got a size for that too. Even difficult to quantify phenomena like the American political system, the Star Wars franchise, and your very own sense of self-worth keep it from going bad with infinite possibilities Tupperware. Because when you keep things from going bad, that's good. Okay, now it's time to fill in the blank. Instead of drawing a blank, we're going to fill one in. Here's our fill in the blank for this episode. A first step that I can take to conquering fear is, (laughs) and I'm going to lead us off with this one. Mine would be talking about what I fear out loud, Mm. naming my fears and doing so publicly and letting other people in on the secret just provides a lot of release and relief. That stronghold in my head that I was talking about earlier, it makes mm-hmm. it leak. <laughs> like yeah, I, I want to yeah. poke a hole in it and make yeah. it leak out of my head mm-hmm. so that I can externalize some of that instead of fighting that battle alone yeah. in my own mind. That's good. I would say this sounds scary even to me as I say it out loud, but <laughs> <Let's> like <go. laughs> this idea of confronting my fears, yeah. either talking about them or writing them down or having the conversation that you're scared to have mm-hmm. because sometimes the fear inside my head is a pit bull and when it actually comes out in real life it's like a little chihuahua it's mm, like and i'm yeah. like really you hear this whole time and like, you think yeah. like well that sounds like a big dog yeah, like, and, and then yeah. it's not and it's like oh yeah you're scary <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this idea of uh, being brave mm-hmm. yeah piggybacking that 
acknowledging and accepting it, not viewing it as something to avoid. Yeah. If I'm pretending that I can avoid fear, that just makes it worse when I actually experience it. Acknowledging that it's going to happen and not being completely thrown (laughs) when I feel it because Mm -hmm. I I like get amnesia, I guess. It's like, oh, here's (laughs) that. Here's that feeling that I've had a million times before, but somehow (laughs) I'm feeling it for the first time. Acknowledging that it's going to happen, but it's not an indictment against me that it's happening. All right. Let's go eat some tortilla pinwheels. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Really Real Podcast. Whatever Isaac said at the 10-15 mark is how your week is going to go. Treat this like a weird fortune cookie. You can get more content and more of Isaac in the Real FM Insider Facebook group. Check it out at real.fm slash insiders. Tune in next time to hear Anson, Kara, and Isaac say, Shall we do this thing? We shall do the thing. I think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. All right.